0: Hey everyone, welcome again to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about films off of the 200 best movies of all time. Sorry, 200 best horror movies of all time from (laughs) Rotten Tomatoes.com. Very different podcast. Uh, (laughs) More Chris Nolan movies on that list, I would bet. Uh, My name is Clay. With me, as always, is Amanda. How are you doing, Amanda?
1: I'm good. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. It's getting cold. This is uh, Christmas week. So uh, we decided to shuffle around our schedule a little bit, and we're going to do our wild card next time. And this week we are going to be covering 1974's Black Christmas, which is number 199 on this list at a 71% Rotten Tomatoes score. Huh? Had you seen this before? You had not, right?
1: I had not.
0: What was your first impression without getting too deep Um, into it
1: just like overall i'm super into it yeah (laughs) i was kind of like i I was i will just say i was a little bit mad so i've watched it now twice Mm -hmm. in in preparation for this recording um and the first time i watched it through and i finished it i kind of i was kind of angry when i when i was done because I felt oh, really? like everybody had been hiding something
0: from me. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: I was like you fucking kidding me? This movie has existed longer than I have.
0: Isn't that the best feeling though? When you find one of those, oh, it is. Because yeah, that's, yeah, no, it definitely is. <laughs> that's kind of like when I started watching movies like this. This was that was essentially the the dragon I was chasing. Is I yeah. was always looking for another one that had fallen into the cracks um mm-hmm. that was not a main not that much of a mainstream recognized movie that you just come across and you go whoa that was really cool um yeah. which is which is kind of what i my f- my favorite part about doing this show is introducing some of these movies to people who have never seen them before for better or worse um mm-hmm. and which is also why i like doing the wild card stuff too because we can kind of pull from stuff that maybe that isn't on the list that maybe you haven't seen and stuff maybe that i haven't seen and it's it's i think that's the the real weird yeah this one was um i had seen this a few times i remember the first time i watched it i don't think i liked it that much i i think it just sort of it just sort of Hmm. washed over me kind of um I think, I think in a similar way that Halloween did the first time I watched Halloween. I didn't really like Halloween that much the first time I saw it either. Oh, but, interesting. Um, and we'll talk about the connection between these two movies a little bit later. But uh, mm-hmm. the I've, I've watched it a few times since, and this has really started to grow on me as into one of my... I don't want to say it's one of my favorites, but it's definitely a lot higher up on the list. And watching it this time... I just really enjoyed it top to bottom. You know, I think because I because knowing what it was going into at this time and having a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I could just kind of relax and 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 get into yeah. the spirit of it, so to speak. It's just it's it's really fun and it's dark and weird. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a good one. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we're going to take a quick break and play the trailer for you and then we will come back and talk about Black Christmas.
2: girl's been murdered mr harrison's daughter is missing and now at the house where she lives the other girls are getting obscene phone calls yeah what i've done is i've
1: tapped this phone so that when it rings it'll ring at the station house too
2: there was a little girl murdered over in the park tonight yes i heard
0: your phone's ringing
1: Terminal 55.
2: Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood. Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Kid Dulley, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If
0: this movie doesn't make your skin crawl,
2: it's on too tight.
0: All right. Black Christmas from 1974. Like I said, number 199 on our list. 71% Rotten Tomatoes score. Directed by Bob Clark, written by Roy Moore, and starring Olivia Hussey, Care Delay, Margo Kidder, John Saxon, and a nog glass full of casual misogyny. (laughs) Amanda, what happens in Black Christmas?
1: As winter break begins, a group of sorority sisters, including Jess, and the often inebriated Barb, begin to receive anonymous, lascivious phone calls. Initially, Barb eggs the caller on, but stops when he responds threateningly. Soon, Barb's friend Claire goes missing from the sorority house, and a local adolescent girl is murdered, leading the girls to suspect a serial killer is on the loose, but no one realizes just how near the culprit is.
0: That was a long one. I feel like this one could have been like one sentence.
1: I was going to say, it's really interesting to me when I find these, um, the ones that are very brief, where it's just like... (laughs) Patrick Bateman has a difficult night, or what- right, whatever whatever. Yeah. And then the ones that are like, let's go point by point through this plot.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um. So Clay. Mm. Some things you'll find in this movie include mm. uh sexy phone line exchange designations.
0: Ooh, yes.
1: Jeffrey Dahmer's phone sex hotline.
0: Mm. Delicious. <laughs>
1: uh questionable policing
0: yeah making a triumph return for this one
1: oh yeah yeah it's been been a while since we saw it's, that one
0: and it's not really like it's not as questionable as in fright night where the guy just dismisses him outright <laughs> this feels like fairly <laughs> fairly honest for the most part like the cops are they've got another thing they're dealing with and they just kind of like well we don't really have time for this weird sex caller guy um but yeah, yeah it is yeah, I it think, is I think questionable. a
1: little bit of a A little bit of a gamut, depending on which cop you're talking about.
0: That's true. That's true. Yes.
1: Uh, We also have an objectively amazing fur coat.
0: Mm, Yes.
1: Questionable townie-based sexual politics.
0: Shocking. Shocking even 40 years later.
1: Yeah. And and an early line in the movie.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And, of course, everyone's favorite, questionable parenting.
0: Yes. I mean, I guess a, a sorority house mom who is a drunkard, would count as a questionable parent, right? Her name, She is a mother in some sense.
1: Oh, I, I would even say that Claire's dad is questionable parenting.
0: That's true. I mean, I don't know. He's kind of being responsible, trying to... hope Hoping his daughter's focusing on school. <laughs> staying for this, dinner.
1: Then? How about this, then? Barb's parents.
0: Yes, Barb's parents and... <laughs> And Billy's <laughs> parents. We don't learn much about Billy in this movie, but uh, I think we can infer that there was some questionable parenting involved there as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's a safe guess.
0: Yes. So, Black Christmas, uh, directed by a guy named Bob Clark, who kind of bookended ten years with an inter- really interesting <laughs> run of movies because uh, he had in nineteen eighty in nineteen seventy four he directed Black Christmas. He also directed Porky's and Porky's 2, and then uh, he directed A Christmas Story in 1983. And I'm kind of, I I can't stand that movie, so it it really bothers me that uh, A Christmas Story is the movie everybody goes to at Christmas, and not this. I would much prefer it if people turned to Black <laughs> Christmas every, uh, and they played that 24 hours a day for four days on TNT.
1: Okay, is is it Christmas Story, the one with the kid with the BB gun?
0: Sure is. Yes.
1: Okay, yeah, I fucking hate that movie.
0: Yeah. He also directed um Baby Geniuses, Baby Geniuses what? 2. What? A TV movie called The Karate Dog. <laughs> And uh, Rhinestone, starring Sylvester Stallone and Dolly Parton, which was his follow-up to A Christmas Story. So he had a very... What? Yeah, very interesting, interesting career. But he started out with low-budget horror. He did a movie called Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. And another really cool movie that I I would hope that we get to cover at some point called Death Dream, which is kind of Mm. like a... uh, a monkey's paw story about a mother who, who wishes that her son will come home from Vietnam, but her son has been killed. And so you can, you know, extrapolate that out. However you want, you'll probably be right. (laughs) Um,
1: Wow. Yeah. This guy has like a more varied filmography than Billy has voices. Yes.
0: Yes, that's true. And, uh, yeah, he managed to death dream is not, breaking the mold or anything but with black christmas he he managed to kind of set the rules or not set the rules but set the stage for what would become the slasher movie the traditional slasher movie uh maybe six years after this when you start with your uh, friday the 13th and whatnot between between this movie and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You kind of mix those two up a little bit. I feel like you have more or less the the genesis of the slasher, the the modern slasher.
1: Oh yeah, no, I I I, I don't know if we want to jump straight into this, but as somebody who is such a huge fan of Halloween, mm-hmm. I just like watching this. Part of the reason why I think this hit me so immediately as a movie I knew I would like is because you can you can just see the influence that this movie had on Halloween. Oh, totally. Yes. Like right off the bat, like with that first point of view shot approaching the house and climbing the like trellis work into the attic window.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess I'll, uh, I'll jump to the, to the connection between the two. Cause there actually is one and this is coming from Bob Clark. So I have never, as far as I know, I have not heard John Carpenter or Deborah Hill mention this specifically. But according to Bob Clark, he was helping out John Carpenter in one of his early movies. And they got to talking about Black Christmas. And Hmm. Carpenter asked him if he had any plans to do a sequel. And he said, no, but if I did, it would take place a handful of years after the first one. And the killer would escape from a mental institute and it would be called Halloween. Oh, wow. So... Take from that what you will. I'm not sure if that's an apocryphal story. I mean that that is a direct quote from from Bob Clark. He did say that, but I have not ever heard John Carpenter really comment on that. I don't think. Maybe it's out there somewhere. Huh. That's so.
1: (laughs) That's a very interesting sort of background mythos to this.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I and I do think that they do have a lot in common. I think. uh, oh yeah. The thing the thing that really stands out to me with this movie though, not to jump right into the uh, politics angle of it is this is a slasher movie where all of the f- the girls who are in it have agency for the most part and mm-hmm. um they are they are fairly well-rounded characters. Uh, at least at least the ones who get the most screen time are anyway um Jess is, has a lot of stuff going on she's yeah. not just the uh the 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 virginal wallflower who ends up getting put up against the the crazy killer i mean there's a whole she's pregnant mm-hmm. you know she's yeah there's a whole uh, a, abortion subplot in this that is not something you would ever really see i mean unless you count I guess I, i've been watching uh, I've been skimming the the new Friday the Thirteenth box set, and uh, mm. I was watching a little bit of Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, and I forgot that one of the girls in that is actually pregnant. Um, oh, really? It's not really a plot point, other than she says it a couple times, but um, in this one, it's it's a whole subplot.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's and it's handled surprisingly, um, like surprisingly realistically and and Mm. without a lot of judgment right yeah you know what i mean like like we're not we're not supposed to hate jess because she wants to get an abortion right like if if anything you know we we can see her boyfriend kind of sucks yeah (laughs) so so you're kind of like i get why you don't want to marry that guy and have a kid with with him he's like smashing a fucking piano
0: yeah he's a really interesting character because he he totally acts like a psychopath. However, she does drop that shit on him right before he's going to do his final <laughs> like final uh, concert performance. She couldn't have waited like another day. He, <laughs> it's it's a little yeah. inconsiderate on her part, I would say.
1: Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where it, it it also almost seems like like you were saying like a lot of the girls in this movie feel like pretty well rounded characters. I found that scene, that whole scene where she goes to, and he's at the piano and she has her back turned and she's in a hat and it's like, I'm pregnant and I'm mm-hmm. not keeping it and you can't stop me. Uh, like, that one seemed extremely out of character for who she seems to be for the rest of the movie. Mm. Like, that was kind of maybe the one scene I sort of had a little bit of a, not a problem with, but just it, that one felt a little bit more to me like it was put in specifically to introduce this kind of tension between her and peter and and give the audience like a a kind of red herring um thought that maybe he was the killer
0: yeah and that's something i do want to talk about whether or not that is successful because the the setup of the movie Mm -hmm. is there's a sorority house and you you movie opens with you seeing the first person point of view shot of this person who climbs up into the house and then Starts calling the girls on the phone and and uh, harassing them with very, very convincing, convincingly crazy sounding. Uh, oh yeah, phone calls. I you were They're saying so you were saying how scary you thought the phone calls were. I think that they still work to this day.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Do you so? Do you think that there's, do you think there's two callers, because. I noticed there's a distinct Mm -hmm. difference in the the tone of the calls because when the movie starts, they have already been getting phone calls because the first one they get, they refer to like, oh, it's the moaner again or something like that. Right. And that first call they get is very, very sexual in a way that all of the other ones are not. It's very specifically like uh, trying to gross out a bunch of girls. Yeah. And the ones that come after that are just the ravings of a lunatic. And so it feels to me like they must be two separate callers, right?
1: You know, that that's a really interesting question, and I think you can definitely argue it either way. I I, I don't know I'm I'm torn on the one hand I agree with you I think that tonally the first call is way different than the rest of them mm-hmm. and it does feel like somebody who is just trying to you know freak out and and scare a bunch of like teenage girls on the other hand when Barb takes the phone and kind of talks back to him mm-hmm and gives him all sorts of shit that the tone of of the caller's voice switches from this like absolutely insane sounding just just throwing out profanities and gross sexual innuendo to this man's very normal sounding man's voice very calmly just stating i'm going to kill you yeah and i kind of wonder it's it's sort of like Maybe that's a little bit of a trigger for him where it it, it flips a switch inside of him. Mm. I don't know. I, it's, it is an interesting question, though, especially where they do talk about like, oh, it's the moaner again.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: Uh, and we have just kind of just watched the uh, mysterious killer climb the outside of the house to get in like just that same night. Right, right. So, yeah, that's that's a good question
0: yeah and it it kind of it's it's interesting if if the if it is the same killer and Barb talking to him sets him off like that because I feel like the theme of this movie is uh women have to put up with a lot of shit from men and because <laughs> at every turn they are uh one character or another is getting dismissed or talked mm-hmm. down to. Um Jess gets a lot of it where uh in in ways that are even not super um on the nose like there there's uh there's a couple times where well there's the obvious one where peter says, oh you're only thinking of yourself when it re- re- when it comes to the abortion and right. uh even when they're trying to trace the call it's she's getting kind of talked down to by the cops saying you have to give us more time she's like i'm sorry i'm so like if they're putting it on her in yeah. a way in a way that seems very very pointed and even at the end we were, we were joking about how ridiculous the ending is because they uh, uh she is passed out from shock and uh claire's dad just like faints and they rush yeah. him to the hospital but they leave her in the house I mean, obviously, they don't know that the killer is still there, but they don't even leave like a cop with her to watch over. Her. They just yeah, rush yeah, they this. Just
1: leave her in the. I lo- leave her alone in the dark.
0: Yeah, they just they rush this middle-aged man who has the vapors out to, uh, <laughs> into, out to to the hospital. But the girl who just murdered her boyfriend in self-defense, seemingly in the basement, and is being uh, threatened all day, and all of her friends have been murdered. They're just like, ah, let her sleep it off. She'll be fine.
1: Yeah, and and to top all that off, they have given her some sort of sedative.
0: Right. Yes.
1: Because they even say like, well, well, you know, in the state she's in, with what with what we gave her, she's not waking up for at least a couple hours, and it's like, so she couldn't even wake up and defend herself if something happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um. But yeah. Yeah. The the sort of um. <laughs> the sort of like underlying, generally like low-key misogyny from most of the male characters is really interesting the way that this movie doesn't make a big deal out of any of it
0: like so i was gonna ask do you think that is on purpose like do you think it's purposefully made to point that stuff out but not bring attention to it or do you think they didn't even realize that was just they didn't realize they were bringing that to the forefront that was just the movie they made you know what i mean where it's like it's not it's not written to point out all of this uh misogyny it just is kind of a a byproduct of how people acted at the time and we're only seeing it now because we're more attuned to that stuff 40 years later and the culture has changed
1: I, I wonder if it isn't a combination of both, mm-hmm. because um, I, I think in the cases of like, like, for instance, when the first uh, sorority sister, Claire, is murdered, but nobody knows she's been murdered in in, in their minds. She's just gone missing. Mm. There's all the like, well, you know, she's probably just shacked up with her boyfriend somewhere, mm-hmm. um, which works out for the cops about, you know, 10 minutes until the boyfriend shows up at the police station saying, no, she's not. What the hell?
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, But, but then they imply that maybe, you know, they, they're in her room and they see the picture of the boyfriend and say, well, who else was she seeing? Mm -hmm. Like the immediate assumption that like, of course she doesn't have just one boyfriend. She's, you know, these, these young girls these days are just slutting about with everybody. Which Um, I,
0: I wouldn't say is a inappropriate question for the cops to ask. But the phrasing of it is the thing. It's not, is she seeing anybody else? It's who else is she seeing?
1: Exactly. And it's not, they don't do it to just her. Right. They even say that, like, to Jess and to the other girls, well, it's probably just one of your boyfriends playing right. pranks on you.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um. Yeah, so there's there's this underlying assumption that, like, all of these sorority girls are probably sleeping with or going around with multiple boys. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's, I don't think that's included intentionally to be like a feminist critique. I think Mm -hmm. that's just kind of the attitude about like, you know, it's the seventies. These are like modern young women. I think that's just the attitude that like, some slightly older men had towards like college age girls at the time
0: even the even Claire's dad does it i mean and it's not really yeah. i don't think it would feel as pointed in that direction in really any other movie what he he more or less says but since there's so much of that stuff here it does feel of a piece cuz when he gets there he's talking about uh you know he sees the the Naked, naked people poster, and and the fact that she's got a boyfriend, and
2: mm-hmm. that maybe there's
0: drinking going on, and he's like, "What kind of place is this? I didn't send my my daughter to a house of ill repute or whatever." Yeah, and and it's like, nah, she's just she's in college, she's doing college stuff, but and and I don't exactly. think I think in most other movies that doesn't really come off as that much of a th- that what he says doesn't come off as that much of a a pointed statement but it does fall in line with the way that the women in this movie are treated top to bottom.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when you, I think when you add to that, so I I think a lot of that kind of stuff is the, is partially just the culture of the time a little bit. But when you add in the fact that there is an intentional subplot about Jess being pregnant and not wanting to keep it, Mm -hmm. I think that makes me lean more towards like, at least some amount of this is intentional like yes even yeah. even that and 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 the the little girl from town she's like 13 who goes missing and is they find her her body in the park and in the scene where her mother first goes to the police the police are saying like well i'm sure she's just off somewhere
2: yes you yeah. know
1: girls and the mom's like no she's she's 13 she she never just goes off by herself she always comes
0: home it's interesting how a something like that that be has become a cliche in these movies has so much more like subtextual weight in a movie like this because being dismissive of the characters like that is something you do all the time. It's like, oh, where's Jenny? I don't know. She and Bobby probably just went off into the woods and it's, you know, they're hanging from yeah. the rafters by their necks or whatever. But in right. this one, <laughs> but in this one, yeah, it feels like it has that, that weird, a, a, a bit more narrative and thematic weight to it because there's so much of that stuff going on and it's hard to miss it.
1: Yeah. And, and who it's coming from is really important. Right, because- right. It's not the other girls saying, oh, I'm sure she's just off with some guy. Mm -hmm. Um, They're all like, well, Claire wouldn't do that. This is really weird. Like, she knew her dad was coming. Her boyfriend doesn't know where she is. She's, like, generally a good, reasonable person. Um, The people who keep insisting that this has to just be... Young women being kind of trampy and flighty and irresponsible—it's it, all kind of coming from these uh, these male authority figures.
0: Yeah, and I do um, think um I do think this is this is a good movie to look at to see how much of this stuff is not just an evil male character calling someone a slut or a bitch, you know. Like, that yeah. seems to be the hacky way to dive into this stuff these days, where if mm-hmm. you if you watch a movie like this, it's like you get all different shades of this stuff, from the guy who's exclusively the killer, who's actively killing them, to the obscene phone calls, to the way the people who are supposed to be protecting them are treating them. It's not as intense as uh, it's not anybody calling like the police captain never comes out and calls anybody a slut or something, but they're dismissive, and it's it shows you the whole breadth of this behavior and how it how it affects things, and it's I think it's a much more interesting look at that stuff, intentional or otherwise, because I think at this point you can look back and read it that way very easily and have it work mm-hmm. in that way very easily.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it, that isn't that I like that point about how like we're so accustomed to like uh, signaling sort of misogyny or, or, or the, uh, like gesturing at these kinds of themes by like one character, just sort of being like really verbally violent towards yeah women in a movie. Um Whereas in this one, I, I think other than the killer on the phone and even he doesn't really swear at them after the first phone call, he doesn't really swear at them. Right. Right. Um, I think then it's only like is is it is it like Phil's boyfriend or something who's Santa?
0: Oh yes, yes.
1: <laughs> in that batshit crazy Christmas charity party scene and he calls Barb a bitch once. That's
0: true, yes he does. And yeah.
1: it but it's but it's really jarring when he does it. Mm. You know, like he's in a Santa outfit, he's got like little kids climbing into his lap, and he says it really like bitch. And it's like very like oh whoa okay this isn't just like oh come on don't be a bitch like it it's like really notable in the movie
2: right that that
1: beyond that like very one very pointed cuss at a woman there's really not any beyond that but there's a lot of misogyny
0: right right um and on top it's (laughs) if you haven't seen this let's not bury the lead and say and and by saying this is just a uh, a political thesis statement this movie is hilarious i this movie is so funny i don't think i one of the things that stood out to me more this time is how funny this movie is and how much of the comedy works really well Uh,
1: i am just like i just want to watch clips of mrs mac the house mother Mm -hmm. like every day
0: she's she's fantastic (laughs)
1: She is amazing. She's she is so much fun.
0: Hide she hides booze all over the house. She hides booze in the toilet. She hides booze booze in books. Uh yep. there's B is there's for good, booze, Clay. B is for Booze, my favorite children's book. There's <laughs> there's a good section of the sh- of the movie that she spends with only a quarter of her lipstick done, I think. Because she <laughs> yes. gets distracted when she's doing it and never fixes it.
1: Yep, she's looking for her cat. Claude! Claude!
0: Um, And you can't talk about the comedy without talking about uh, Officer Nash down at the station who I the police comedy in this. I find so authentic for some reason, because John Saxon is so dad. Yeah, he's just a dad. He's a cop dad. I like to yep. think that th- this is the same character that he plays in Nightmare on Elm Street so he's just seen some shit. <laughs> but um after when the scene where he reads the uh the exchange number that Margot Kidder left where she convinced Nash to write down uh fellatio 555 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the the scene where where he's looking at it but his partner or the guy in, at the other desk is just laughing hysterically because he uh-huh. knows that he's going to see it just feels so real yeah and then yeah. when they bring it up to Nash and Nash doesn't understand what the joke is and then he gives that sort of like uh Fredo Corleone kind of thing where he's like I it's dirty right I'm smart I know I get jokes <laughs>
1: I get it now.
0: Yeah, it's just it works really well. And it the thing that worked that's so great about it is Nash's stupidity and his lack of tact actually <laughs> pays off in the twist of the movie at the end.
1: Oh yeah. Oh oh yeah, like no w- w- without without Nash and his very specific uh, flaws <laughs> like most of this movie wouldn't wouldn't work the way it does Mm. because even, even early on where he's sort of dismissive about Claire going missing and the phone calls and all that, he sort of makes it so that there's not a lot of action happening with these problems uh, that these girls are having early on, which gives it time to sort of ramp up and become like a bigger and bigger uh, issue, I guess, to put it lightly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And he's the first line that they have to get through. And he's the most dismissive of everybody. Yeah, because they go down yeah, to him. He's and,
1: even dismissive. Huh, sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, just that he's he's even dismissive of the woman whose daughter is missing. Like, he's just sort of like, oh yeah, you know, kids run away. We're working on it.
0: Right. Like he's he he wants so. I'm probably reading too much into this, but it's like he wants so badly to be a cop that he's like putting on the airs of, we don't have time to deal with your petty shit kind of thing.
1: Absolutely. I think that's, I think that's a really, I think that's true of him. I think that's like a really good character point. Cause of you know, because where it's just like, yeah, I'm in my uniform. This is, you know, we only deal with important stuff here. Right.
0: And I'm sure he wants everybody else to take him seriously, even though he's a doofus. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's trying to, he's trying to handle things as, uh, extra professionally as possible and then he ends up writing fallacia, whatever and doesn't understand it
1: capital f yeah little e yeah little
0: that's L. that's a little detail that i actually really appreciate because one of the things i i used to when i grew up i watched the superman movies all the time because i had them on, on i taped them off the tv and Aww. i think <laughs> i think it's in superman 2 where Margot Kidder's Lois Lane is spelling something out, and she does the same thing that she does in this movie, where she says like F E little L little T or whatever, and they do this. It, it's such a, it's such a specific thing that it must be just something that she did in like in her real life when spelling things.
1: Yeah, like like an authentic verbal tick that she just had.
0: Yeah, because I mean, like, what. Why would you assume that it was not a little L? You know, I don't know, but
1: right, <laughs> right, the the like letters in the middle of a word,
0: right? Unless it's you know you're spelling out an Italian last name or something. And one of the other things I think this movie does really well is it sets up the the killer on the loose setting. I think is very effective because they've got. They never there, there's as you you mentioned earlier there's a there's a a, a little girl like a thirteen year old girl who's gone missing and ends up dead, and they never directly tie that in to the killer inside the house. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> and I you can you can infer that he probably killed this girl as well, but they never directly say that. But what that secondary killing does is it presents in this atmosphere of there's a killer on the loose, so these phone calls that these girls are getting isn't really a big deal. Like all all of the attention is being brought to, oh, a child just got killed somewhere. We have to focus on that. So everybody ignores the fact that there's a crazy person in the attic of the sorority house killing people.
1: Yeah, and I I think that it it does a good job of making – it like reinforces what we were saying for, for the characters, especially for the cops, um, what we were saying earlier about their attitude towards these sorority girls,
2: mm-hmm.
1: having this missing child and then this murdered child reinforces their assumptions that these girls are just being overdramatic and just, you know, they need to handle it themselves. They need to just deal with it. Oh, it's somebody playing a prank. You're overreacting. Mm-hmm. Um it makes it probably make you know it makes that feel more legitimate because it does feel more important that a child has been murdered versus somebody's getting creepy phone calls. Like right. objectively, that's true. Right. Um, but I think it does play into certain assumptions that they already have about the girls.
0: Yeah, and it, it helps that no one ever sees the other murders happening. Like they don't they don't know even at the end of the movie they don't know that Claire's dead. They don't know that uh, Mrs. Mac is dead they know that uh, barb and uh, the phil. other phil they know that they're dead yep. but they don't know that uh that these other two have been killed so there's no urgency on the part of the the police or anybody else to take their focus away from this killer on the loose but that that electricity of there's someone out there killing people is very palpable and does uh, work really well for the for the setting.
1: Absolutely. I think it's it's also interesting because it, it it has a lot of that like it sets up characters to, you know, go out and be part of the search party and be out in the woods and get them out of the house and then bring them back in and then bring other characters, you know, like there's some weird guy peeking in the window and yeah. it turns out it's just too f- Two like weird locals who are just right. like hey what are you doing in here do you know there's a, there's a little girl murdered shouldn't open your door and they're like holding a shotgun And not
0: um, to not to jump back to the casual misogyny element but no please. even even at the end of that scene they're there to like tell them not to leave and then when they shut the door they have the camera on them as the door shut and they basically they both kind of go like blah, blah, like they just like they're scoping out the hot babes or something you know, it's it's yeah, it's a yeah. really it's a really weird reaction shot where they're both like high fiving that they got to talk to the hot sorority chicks or something. It's very strange.
1: Abs- yeah, absolutely. Like they they won't let them close the door.
0: Right, right.
1: They're telling them close and lock all your doors and windows, but they keep leaning back into the door and making them reopen the door so they can try to keep talking to them. It's this very like. Is first of all, it's very funny.
0: Right. Yes, it is. <laughs>
1: like the whole sequence is is pretty funny, but it's also very like. I don't know, it it just reemphasizes, like, you know, the the sort of, like, the neighbors and the town kind of search party slash posse and the police and the uh, sorority house mother and Claire's father. Like, all of these adult authority figures fail these girls in one way or another, Mm -hmm. mostly because they kind of write them off as... As like flighty, ridiculous, you know, idiots who are only interested in booze and sex.
0: Right, and honestly, not to, not that Barb does anything wrong in this movie, but her attitude kind of reinforces that point of view. You know, it's like, up, oh, well, one of them is shit faced, so obviously the rest of them are probably ne'er do wells as well.
1: Yeah, Barb's really interesting. So th- the first time, I the first time I watched this. I missed the phone call that Barb has with her mother, I think it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if I just was maybe, like, taking notes or or doing something else. Um, But the second time through, I noticed it, and it's this, like, Barb isn't fully shit-faced yet. She's maybe had a couple drinks, and she's talking to her mom about, like, oh, I'm so excited to spend Christmas with you. And then it's clear from her into the phone call that the mom is like, oh, no, I don't want you to come home. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I'm going to go skiing or I'm going to go on vacation with my new boyfriend or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
1: And I, f- I found that really interesting because I think that adds like a motivation to Barb that takes her from being just kind of a drunk asshole um, to a much more sympathetic character who's like, you know, she feels unloved by her parents.
0: Right. right. And
1: then is just kind of like, well, you know what? fuck it i'm just gonna get drunk who cares
0: right yeah yeah she's clearly the wild card in that house but that doesn't yeah. mean she's constantly drinking all the time it's it's clearly a response to to uh being dumped by her mom
1: <laughs> i wonder if her uh feeding champagne to like an eight-year-old boy is too <laughs> <laughs> I keep coming back to that Christmas party because as much as I'm, I'm saying, like, these girls are fine. They're just college girls having fun. They don't, none of them do anything wrong. They don't deserve it. I would not trust them with my children.
0: No, no. I'm
1: like, whose children are these? Who's sending their kids to the sorority house Christmas party with the, the drunk girl giving them champagne and Santa swearing profusely in front of them?
0: A cool mom, that too. <laughs> Um
1: maybe that should have been on our list instead of questionable parenting. Cool yeah, moms.
0: Implied cool moms across the board. <laughs> so that, that does that does uh bring me to something that I, I wanted to talk about because you we've talked about um how generally we kinda we have the same affinity for less exposition and more inference as far as mm-hmm. plot and character go. And how do you feel about that in regards to this movie? Because I I feel like this is a a great example of let your movie let let your movie tell the story. Don't tell the story of your movie.
1: Yeah. No. I. I you can put I that totally on a T-shirt. Agree. I
0: just coined that now. It's going on? a shirt That <laughs> was good. That that's is gonna really be. Good. That's gonna be on the back of my book with my awesome like author <laughs> photo. It's gonna say that underneath it.
1: Your book uh, entitled, uh, God, what were you calling it? Like the narrative cone of vision? Yes. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I, I I completely agree that this movie is a really excellent example of how that kind of technique works and, and how it can work really well where, you know, J- Jess has a english accent mm-hmm. and and this is supposed to is is this supposed to take place in canada
0: i have no idea it very clearly does um right if right. the uh, <laughs> if the the oots and the casual hockey wasn't the dead giveaway <laughs>
1: um well, well you know well we'll just say the u.s or canada somewhere
0: yeah I think um, it's it's supposed to be somewhere identify like identifiable to the audience.
1: Yeah. But like we never get a there's there's never a whole big backstory about how Jess is the foreign exchange student.
0: Right, yeah.
1: Um we never find out how she and Peter met or how long they've been together. Um you know, we don't we we know Barb's not close to her parents, but we don't know like we don't get this whole sob story about like oh, well, my parents divorced when my dad left my mom for his secretary because he's a high-powered lawyer in New York City. Like, we don't get any of that crap. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say most, (laughs) in my opinion, most importantly, we don't get any information about the killer.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, And I think it all works so, so well because you don't really need it, like, uh, these these the these girls are kind of of a type, mm-hmm. um, like they're well rounded characters, but but there's a certain shorthand that you can apply to them when you hear, you know, sorority girls living in a shared house at college away from their parents in the seventies.
0: Yeah yeah yeah.
1: Like like there's a pretty quick shorthand for that where it's like yeah okay they like-. yeah. <laughs> But you know, you could say, "Oh, they probably have parties. It's a sorority. Mm-hmm. They usually have like a, a fraternity that's like their their brother fraternity. Um, they're probably like experimenting or, or running around because they're without parent supervision for the first time in their lives. Um, I don't know. You 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 can you can make certain leaps." straight Mm -hmm. into what kind of lives they're going to be leading even if they're different types of characters than you were expecting so you don't really need all the like plotting exposition of like well you know jess and barb aren't really friends because barb was dating peter first and now there's like a rivalry and that's why barb's like that like you just don't need any of that it works without any of that
0: the closest they get to that is towards the end where um the the cops have sort of started to think that Peter might be the one behind this. And uh-huh. and Phil is like consoling Jess and she goes, You know, I never liked Peter, but I don't think he's a killer. Yeah, <laughs> G-
1: yeah and she just kind of casually compliment. like she she just drops it in there.
0: Yeah. Um but yeah, as far as as far as Billy goes, I you know, when you really take a step back and look at slasher killers most of them have identifiable backstories you know even michael myers michael myers his motivations are unclear but you know that he was a kid who killed his sister and then he was in a mental hospital for 20 years or 15 years or whatever and then Uh, Loomis spends the next six movies explaining to you why he's evil and how he's got the black eyes of Satan and shit. Um, (laughs) Jason Voorhees is the only thing that makes Jason Voorhees a mystery is because he's so inconsistent movie to movie, where sometimes he's a mountain man (laughs) and sometimes he's an unkillable zombie. But you know who he is. You know his mom. You know his motivation. Uh, Freddy Krueger. The, uh, you know all about Freddy Krueger. Um, the closest you can probably get to this is Texas Chainsaw Massacre because you don't really know a ton about the family in that movie. But I would argue you know more about the family in that than you do about Billy in this movie. So Billy seems oh, yeah. to be the killer with the least amount of experience. You don't even see him. You never see him once. You yeah. see his eyeball in probably my one of my... Top five favorite shots from a horror movie ever. That shot where uh, Jess sees his eyeball through the crack of the door. Fuck it. Unbelievable. Oh, it's so good.
1: So good.
0: And that's it. That That's all you get. All you get. The only thing you know is the kills and the phone calls and his general level of. Like uncontrollable insanity. And I think it works so well that you don't need anything yeah. else
1: yeah I, I would I would say if anything, it makes him scarier because there's no there's no strategizing, there's no like, there's no logic you can try to put on him to make his actions make sense in mm-hmm. a way that would make you feel like it was avoidable, right even a little bit. Yeah. Like one of the things I know that I like about Halloween, and i know it's been like you know said and talked about is that halloween brought this sort of horror and 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 terror to these very peaceful idyllic suburbs mm-hmm. um and it made it feel like even when you're living somewhere very safe and y- you think you should be fine you're still kind of at risk the- these evil things can happen to you no matter where you're at mm. Um which which I do agree with, but at the same time, like you know Laurie had the misfortune of being in the wrong house, you know, like or in the right. wrong neighborhood. um there was a reason why Michael Myers went back to Haddonfield. It's because that's where he was from,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but we don't know anything about Billy. We don't know like is he is he from there? um is he just like kind of a transient who is passing through? Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah they don't even specify that he escaped from anywhere right
1: yeah yeah he could just be like a like a a, you know riding the rails or some shit and like stopped in this town and just decided all right here's where i'm gonna kill a bunch of people
0: Mm. um i I also feel like his style is very unique because yeah (laughs) I, i think probably starting with michael myers the prevailing hacky, and I'm not saying Michael Myers is hacky, but the prevailing hacky, scary acting killer, quote unquote, is usually very still and very quiet, uh-huh. and that works to a point. It works great for Michael Myers, but like in the year 2020, when they're still doing that shit, it's like, yeah, uh, yeah, he's he's standing there looking at you, scary. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like a breath of fresh air to see a killer who's loud and fucking uh-huh. nuts, like capital yeah. N nuts. Where he's just like <laughs> like smashing yeah, shit. Yeah,
1: crashing around in the attic. Talking
0: in different voices and stuff. It's yeah. uh it's very it's a very unique approach to to horror movie uh monster killer.
1: Yeah, and I and I think it also adds again to how scary he is because uh, he's so erratic mm. like this is somebody who goes he, he has all his different voices and tones and and volume levels and what have you but like this is someone who can be quiet and still enough that even when jess is in the house alone mm. um or you know she thinks the other two girls are upstairs sleeping but she's there but they're dead and she's alone That means that that's a, you know, it's a pretty big old house, but it's quiet. Right. And he's like moving around up there and she doesn't hear him.
0: I was, I was thinking this time that the, the least believable part of this movie is that he could be that loud and no one would hear him in the attic. Cause I've been yeah, in those yeah. houses. Those houses have generally thin walls. So you, can, you, yeah, like if he's making all of those calls from Mrs. Max's bedroom, someone downstairs is going to hear him acting like a fucking crazy person to uh, one floor <laughs> away.
1: Right. Right. I mean, so, but I, I agree, but putting that aside, right, like, uh, yes, you know, I guess, I guess I'm just saying he's someone who's capable of being very, very still and very, right. very quiet when he needs to be.
0: Yeah, when um, he kills when he kills uh Barb and Phil, he's very quiet.
1: Yeah, and 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 that's that scene that leads to your favorite shot there with his eye just mm-hmm. like framed in the light in the in, in the crack in the door. He's, you know, he's standing in there while she comes in and like investigates and she doesn't realize he's there until he starts whispering at her.
0: Right, right. Yeah.
1: Um yeah, so I I think being able to like flip that switch on and off to go from that sort of like complete undetectable stillness straight into that, like absolutely maniac behavior of like, you know, grabbing her by the hair and screaming and slamming doors. Like being able to make that transition that fast makes him really jarring and really scary.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Do you ever find Peter to be a believable red herring No. Yeah, I don't really either. <laughs> it's
1: I wanted to, like I actually like it was funny because even as I was watching it through the first time, I I saw what they were doing and I wanted to I wanted to have that, you know what I mean? Like mm. I I wanted to let it work. I wanted to buy into it, but but straight away from the way they open the movie.
0: Yeah cuz i was like, going to say it, sorry go ahead
1: no it just it, it it's it's just very you can you can very easily put together based on the the first op- the opening shots of the movie where it's that pov where he first comes into the house and they don't notice and then you know the times where the first phone call happens then Jess has the phone call with Peter and says, I need to talk to you. And then she goes like across campus to visit him. And it's right. like right away. And, and then and then Claire gets killed. It's like right away you know it couldn't possibly be him.
0: Right. Well, that's why I was wondering if he's not supposed to be a red herring for the audience. He's just supposed to be a red herring for the characters.
1: Yeah. I think you're right.
0: Yeah. Because it's never like they blur the line a little bit towards the end where they have to convince Jess that it's him by having him be in the house taking a nap uh conveniently when the phone call happens or whatever um and I think that's it's more for the benefit of the characters than it is for the audience because I think leading into the ending when they do when uh she does kill Peter and then they're like, well, I guess that case is closed. And then they just leave. You're left going, no, you fucking idiots. That's It's not yeah. him. He's still in the house.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. I think it's, it's very much put in there to build a case so that at the end, the cops can all feel like, oh, well, guess there's a level of closure on this one.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Do you... Um, uh, Sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I was going to change the subject a little bit. So, so go ahead. Oh.
0: Uh, to what?
1: Just just the comment that I absolutely fucking love the fact that they don't find the bodies in the attic.
0: Yeah. 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 I
1: think that's the creepiest like the best creepiest fucking detail in that like ending shot where it just kind of goes out from from them them dead in the attic i'm just like oh man this movie is great and
0: claire claire with the uh um dry cleaning bag around her head is a very very good image like it's a very iconic shot that they go back to a few times and it's even on the poster
1: wow really yeah it's a kind of gutsy image to put on your movie poster
0: (laughs) yeah the poster the poster's actually pretty good at least the one on um on uh uh, imdb where it almost has like a norman rockwell painting kind of feel where it's this uh, holly wreath and in the middle of it is claire with a bag over her head and her mouth open in horror so it's a pretty good pretty good poster
1: yeah yeah The, the the image of her her face and the plastic and her sitting in the rocking chair and like there's that one moment where you just see Billy's hand reach out and like put the doll on her and like rock her in the rocking chair. It's so creepy.
0: Mm. So uh, I mentioned that, that Nash's lack of tact leads to the, um, the payoff of, of the twist, which is that the calls are coming from inside the house, which is delivered. <laughs> I just, I just love the way they get to that. Cause John Saxon is yeah. like Nash very <laughs> calmly. Just tell her to leave the house anybody and if you screw this up i'm gonna kill you and so he calls up and he's like uh is anybody uh is anybody in the house no okay i'm gonna need you to leave the house why would you just leave the house why what's going on <laughs> god damn it jesse calls are coming from inside the house yeah <laughs> like it's it's again it's his reaction is like this stupid girl won't listen to me so I have yeah. to I have to do the the uh, I have to freak her out. It's it's a uh, it's it's really interesting. Do you f- how do you feel about that twist? Do you think it works?
1: I, I I do I do think it works. I think it works because you you it's I don't know if I would fully call it again. It's kind of like it's not really a, a twist for the audience, but it's a right. twist for the characters. Right. Um, and I think there's that feeling of like payoff and catharsis where like you as an audience member have known this whole time that the killer's inside the house Mm -hmm. and that's where all of the suspense in this movie comes from is like these girls are just walking around their house where they think they're safe absolutely not suspecting a a thing And, and you watching it are just like don't go upstairs alone he's in there with you don't do it right right and I think there's something so, yeah, cathartic when kind of your, your, your protagonist is finally given that same information. Like, like she finally catches up to where you're at. Um, and you're like, yes, see, he's there. Like, you got to go. <laughs> and and I think I. I hmm? No, good. Oh, just I, I think it works really well in terms of like, it, it, it by bringing her into that information, it just like, then like all bets are off and the stakes mm. are like raised a bit higher at that
0: point. Definitely. And I, I do like, I do like that they make sure that, that the twist works by having John Saxon very casually toss off the fact that there's another phone line in the house. Where they're like, well, what's this number? It's like, ah, it's the same house. It's the house Den's mother. They don't know. They don't, they don't, they, no calls coming to that one. We don't have to worry about that. That's not going to come up ever again.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Just, just ignore that conspicuously convenient second phone line. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I, I think uh, uh, this is the first. Let me just double check when a stranger calls came out. Because um, nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. Okay. So when a stranger calls came out in nineteen seventy nine, and that is actually the famous one where it turns out the calls are coming from inside the house As it, most oh. of the time when that's referenced, it's a reference to when a stranger calls, which was five years after uh black Christmas. And, uh, it's kind of a shame because black Christmas didn't really do very well. I don't think when it came out, it came out under a couple different names, I think. And, yeah. uh, it never really clicked as far as I know. Um, as much as the movies that came after it did and
1: yeah, wasn't it, didn't it come out under the name like a silent night something night? I I think so.
0: Yeah. I'm sure one of them was like, also he's in the house with you or some shit like that, where it's, they just give everything away. Um, He's in
1: the house with you. Watch out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you know, going back to a little bit to the, the tension that's built with him being in the house. Um, I I feel like you can see the bastardization and watering down of that when you get into the 80s slasher stuff too because they just sort of cliff notes all of that suspense uh, by, I mean, Friday the 13th had the benefit of a Jaws-like musical score that had a Mm -hmm. very recognizable motif they could play any time that they wanted to imply there was a killer near them. And I think you can see it get watered down and watered down into someone's alone. There's probably a killer near them somewhere. And it's just not as palpable or satisfying as knowing. This this movie is more like Hitchcock suspense where you know that there's someone in the house. You know that he's killing people. They don't know there's someone in the house. And so you're just going, you know, you're screaming inside your head. Trying to, waiting for them to figure it out.
1: Yeah, and, and it does this interesting thing where, unlike the sort of more famous slasher killers, Billy is stationary. Mm. Like, he's in the house, and that's where he is for the whole movie. He's in the house. Yeah, All you have to do to get away from him is, is to leave the house. Right. He's not going to chase you out. He's going to stay in the house. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there's something about that, that just changes the feeling of, of the whole movie because it makes you, it makes you know that escape is right there. It's so simple for any of these girls to survive. All they have to do is walk out the front door and yet they continuously do not do that. Mm -hmm. Um, or Whereas, you know, when you're watching, like, Friday the 13th, it doesn't matter where the characters run around at the camp. Like, Jason's just going to pop up. He's going to, like, teleport in front of them and and start trying to, like, chainsaw their heads off or whatever. Right.
0: And the thing that I think actually makes it that much more, when I say frustrating, I don't mean in a bad way. I mean, like, in a, in uh-huh. a tense, uh, suspense, tension way, is that mm-hmm. in movies, I, I generally have a problem with redundant movement like if 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 people spend a lot of time like going back and forth to places and it doesn't feel like it makes sense Mm. it bothers me but in this movie it works because they keep you you, you're saying all they have to do is leave the house they do leave the house multiple times the thing is they keep coming back to the house so that's why you can go off and have jess and phil go looking for the little girl and maybe in a different movie they never go back to the house they end up meet, running into the killer out in the in the world somewhere but that doesn't work here because the house is the safety hub the house is the place that yeah. is is the central point where okay nothing can nothing bad can happen here so you've got people going out into the world encountering obstacles and then they come back to the house to where they think that they're safe the difference is of Mm -hmm. course the shark is already in your boat
1: (laughs) yeah i think i think that's that's a really that's very true and it's interesting because we fairly recently watched um the society Mm. and that's
0: actually next next time's movie
1: (laughs) ah shit that's okay sorry no um cut that out
0: (laughs) no you can you can mention that we'll just watch it next week
1: All right. Um, I was just bringing that up because um, in the society, the the danger is also in the house. Right. But there is that sort of what you were saying about the redundancy of movement where Mm. it's like, he goes out and he goes to school and then he comes home and then he goes out and he goes to the beach and then he comes home and then he goes out for a drive and he sees his girlfriend and he comes home and it's like it, it 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 kind of does it's the same sort of premise of the bad thing you're worried about is is secretly in the place you think where you're safe except it doesn't do it as effectively with with the way he moves around
0: right right and they do that in the uh, um the Friday the 13th movies too, where you have it's like yeah Jason generally doesn't leave Crystal Lake so if you don't go to Crystal Lake you're probably fine but right. <laughs> but then in the later movies you've got people who start at Crystal Lake, leave Crystal Lake, and then they're like, We gotta go back to Crystal Lake. And it's like, no, if you just keep driving, once you cross state yeah. lines, I don't think Jason's gonna come after you, generally.
1: Yeah, you'll probably be fine. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but uh but yeah. Oh I, I did want to talk about the music a little bit. I think the music in this movie is fantastic. It's not music I don't think I would want to listen to it. The the soundtrack is available on uh, vinyl from Waxwork Records. They did a really nice job. But the soundtrack is is just, it's very sparse and it's very dissonant. Yeah. And it's not necessarily something I think I would put on to relax or like just to listen to casually. <laughs> but as we were watching it the second time, something occurred to me that is really interesting is that what the the, the soundtrack music is not entirely dissimilar to the kind of music that Peter plays. Peter yeah. Peter plays this really sort of um, modern abstract piano piece, and his and after he fails at it, he destroys the piano, which creates this very chaotic noise as he's slamming it with the mic stand or whatever. And yep. I started thinking about how the music almost kind of subconsciously works in the favor of Peter as a red herring because they're hitting this dissonant kind of... uh, I don't know if it's piano. I think it's... I think I I remember hearing it was... It's not actually an instrument playing as much as it is actually like recording someone hitting a piano with a hammer or something like that. It's one of those kind of uh, avant-garde kind Mm -hmm. of things. And (laughs) watching it the second time... Every time that hit, the first thing I thought was Peter. And it's like, it's sort of representative of his mental state. And it was just a weird subtextual subconscious thing that I don't know if that was intentional. But it's 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 interesting.
1: It definitely is. It's sort of like this trying to <clears throat> like make the soundtrack echo the madness of mm. somebody who would do these things. Yeah. And then... Drawing that connection between that music and and the the music that Peter plays does kind of work on your on your subconscious in that way it's really interesting,
0: yeah, yeah, it's very cool it's very cool so um just rounding it out this movie has been remade twice since nineteen seventy four yeah uh, and i i have I have watched all three of them so i, I came in <laughs> ready to talk about them if I had to uh, <laughs> it was remade once in 2006 with a fairly um it was right in the boom of the horror remake era of the 2000s and it had a i don't know if i would call it an all-star cast but like a very recognizable cast where it was um Hmm. katie cassidy was the main girl and michelle Trachtenberg, mary elizabeth winstead lacey chabert um Andrea Martin who plays Phil in the original plays Mrs. Mack mm-hmm. in the in the remake and it oh, was directed what? it was written and directed by Glenn Morgan of X-Files fame. Oh. It's not good. It's uh <laughs> it's it's fun. Like if you if you have never seen the original, I could see watching this and thinking, "Well, oh, that was a a fun early 2000s horror movie. It's super, super gory. Apparently. Um, oh, I bet. Yeah. Apparently Morgan was getting a lot of notes from the producers, the Weinsteins, asking for more blood, more guts. So it's got like, at one point, <laughs> at one point Billy uses a, a a cookie cutter to cut out cookie shapes off of someone's back and then right. uh, cooks them in the, the, the oven and then eats them as Christmas cookies there's a ton oh of, God. like, eye-pulling out that's really gross. Oh. And it's all in service of, essentially, more or less the same story as the original, except they go into as much detail about Billy as you possibly could. Oh. It's ba- the whole movie is basically strung together scenes of, of different characters telling exposition stories about Billy and his horrible upbringing and how his his mother raped him so she could have Whoa. a daughter and then that he ended up in a mental institute and then he killed people like it's 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 the exact opposite of this where it's incredibly gory <laughs> the original not a lot of gore like the only real yeah, no. bloody kill is barb and it's i find it very effective in the movie um
1: yeah i know i agree
0: and in the remake it is like blood everywhere and uh does not work for me the way this f- original does, but hey, if if you if you love the if you love the remake, that's cool too. It's very it's got a bit of a camp to it, so it's it's kind of fun. They remade it It
1: sounds very um like mid two thousands.
0: It is, yes. It's um <laughs> I, I didn't look up what came out around that same time, but there that was like right as this stuff was in full full blast of all these it's such it's a weird movie to remake. Because it's it's not like you can't really trade in on the franchise name because no one really knows anything about it. It's kind of it's not forgotten like horror people know Black Christmas, but it's not Friday the 13th. It's not like a it's not like a a household name or anything. Um,
1: Yeah, it's also a weird movie to remake because like nowadays there are a lot of plot points in it that just wouldn't work anymore.
0: Right, right yeah and this the remake has like uh Claire's sister shows up and she ends up being like a co-hero and then they end there's a an extended end sequence where they end up at the hospital and Katie Cassidy has to fight the killer at the hospital and it's just it's just a lot um Jesus then they remade it again last year in 2019 Blumhouse did it really yeah they did a very very quick turnaround where apparently. They greenlit the movie in March, and it was out in November, I think, or something like that, where the whole production, writing, directing, editing, everything else was like eight months or something, or six months, something insane like that. I
1: feel like that doesn't bode well for the quality of the movie.
0: It does not. (laughs) Um, It is a remake in name only, pretty much everything else in the movie has nothing to do with the original story and it is um, how do I put this uh, whereas the original is deals with a lot of um, gender and sexual politics in a way that is fairly subtle The this remake deals with it with the subtlety of like a Twitter thread oh God yeah, <laughs> oh
1: god
0: um remember remember how remember how we were talking about how it's 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 more this this movie shows misogyny as more than just calling women sluts and bitches, yeah, not so much in the remake there's a lot of that going on,
1: okay, um, so maybe maybe we'll skip that one,
0: yeah, it's just like i it's really going for the feminist deconstruction of horror movie tropes and stuff like that but it's not really it's not doing it in a very constructive or interesting way it's just sort of like Mm. yelling at you (laughs) and
1: women can kick ass
0: yeah and i mean i'm i'm all for that sort of exploration but it's it just didn't work this time unfortunately um, and it's again, I don't yeah. know why you would take the movie and change like why the name isn't getting anything. I don't know. It's it's a it's a real question mark of a remake. Yeah,
1: that's that's an interesting. Yeah, that, that <laughs> that's very strange. I feel like I feel like it, that's just kind of a symptom of how Hollywood loves to just go back to the well of older material and just recycle it into something regardless of what quality you're going to get. Mm,
0: yeah. And even outside of that stuff like the the short turnaround time you're right does not help because the narrative just yeah is all over the place and it's it's just not uh, unfortunately it's a mess. Um but yeah, just to round it out, what uh, this is number 199 on the list. Do you think it deserves to be on the list? Do you think it deserves to be higher? Do you think it deserves to be lower? It can't be much lower than 199. <laughs>
1: Um, I definitely think it deserves to be on the list and I would definitely put it higher.
0: Yeah. Yeah, me too.
1: Um, yeah, just, just if, if for no other reason, even if you watch this and you typically like horror movies and slashers, but you watch this and it just doesn't do it for you for some reason, I think even, even if that was the case, given the impact it had on the genre as a whole, that it's like an important movie. To be included on this list, and it's an important movie to sort of the legacy of, of the things that come after it. I would yeah. definitely put it higher.
0: Yeah, it's really weird, isn't it? Because it almost works as a subversion of a genre that doesn't exist yet. Like if you if you yeah. made this movie exactly how it is in 1974, but you made it now. Like if it if this movie didn't exist in 1974, and then you just with modern techniques and cast the mm-hmm. exact same script made the exact same movie. I feel like yep. people would say, wow, that was a really insightful subversion of the slasher movie and the, the inherent misogyny baked into it. It's really interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think there would be, there would be a lot of talk like similar to what we just spent an hour and change doing, um, you know, talking about the, the abortion subplot and how Jess isn't really, um, she's not judged by the script for for it Mm. um you know these girls do have sex but you don't see anyone have sex and no one gets killed because they had sex
2: right right
1: um people drink but it's not like their drinking doesn't mean well now she has to die right um yeah it's it subverts all those sort of stereotypical tropes
0: you know it's i was uh saying one of the things that i was interested in talking about the friday the 13th movies when we get to those for our patreon shows um Mm -hmm. was was how oddly conservative those movies get in the level of violence they're allowed to show but also like how jason starts turning into this weird like conservative uh What's the word like uh, uh, surrogate for going after kids who are drinking and kids who are having sex and like it's it's a really interesting yeah. kind of thing that these movies turn into. Whereas this movie is very much like a a politically liberal slasher movie where there's Absolutely. like you said there's an abortion discussion in the middle of it and nobody bats an eye to the sexual the sexuality of the characters and stuff. It's it's really fascinating.
1: Yeah, it definitely is, especially for the, especially for the time it came out of. Yeah,
0: yeah. But yeah, I would I would put it much higher as well. I one ninety nine, I think, just speaks to the fact that it's not that well known Um, because, yeah, yeah, every it's definitely worth seeing. It's a lot of fun. It's it's I think it's right on the precipice of feeling really old, though, is probably the biggest thing against it now because it's
1: <laughs> you don't think that's just it just doesn't just feel really Canadian to you.
0: <laughs> that's true, too. But, you know. <laughs> but like you know, you, you look at something like The Shining. The Shining has a little bit of it feels old, but it also feels kind of timeless. This one very much feels of the era that it was made. So,
1: yeah, yeah, I, I think it kind of has to. Like, sure, sure. When, when such a when such a big piece of your plot is the fact that somebody is calling on a phone, and every time yes, you see a phone, yeah. it's like a rotary phone with a giant cord on it. Yeah. You're just like, I do. Oh, okay.
0: I do remember. The first time I saw this, thinking, like, how does this twist even work? You can't call the same landline in your house. I mean, if they had cell phones, it would work. I don't know. But <laughs> anyway.
1: I mean, I was shocked when she when she gave the exchange as, a, you know, her, her, her little like, fellatio 555. It's F-E. I was like, wait, did they still use those in the 70s? I thought that was like the 1950s. What's I- happening
0: I don't even know, to this day, I don't know what that even means. Like, <laughs> I don't know what, what phone like, exchanges are or anything.
1: I think it's like if you, you pick up the phone and there's an operator.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And you pick up the phone and you say, operator, give me, and you give the exchange and then the number, and that's with how they know where to, like, send your call, Oh, is I think. it
0: like, a, like an area code almost?
1: I think so. It's like 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 for for I don't know. I could I could be 100% wrong. I'm sure somebody out there will listen to this and start screaming about how wrong I am. Yeah, um, all, all of
0: our all of our fans at Bell Atlantic will be screaming at us. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I I think I think that's basically how it worked. Is it, it was like the the code you use to give to the operator so that they Route you to the right number.
0: Ah, okay, that makes sense. Um, but
1: it feels just very, very, very old to me. I d- I did not think that that was still in use in well, the seventies.
0: We didn't even talk about how this movie features the lowest, lowest tech phone tapping sequence in movie history. Oh my god! Where <laughs> instead of like someone at a computer very tensely trying to like click numbers into place, it's a it's a literal phone tech guy with like a cup of coffee who looks like he's been up since five o'clock walking through the the aisles of the phone building. I don't know what else to call it.
1: <laughs> yeah, these like giant, like this r- enormous room full of these giant cases that yeah. he has to like run up and down and like fidget with while she makes the phone call. Honestly?
0: I prefer it to the way they do those things a lot because I I have a – one of my other beliefs is that I think analog is always a better storyteller than digital. So actually seeing someone trying to chase down the number just gives you more action to your scene than someone like sitting behind a a telephone thing in a living room going like, ah, we didn't get it. You know, it's (laughs) – but anyway –
1: You mean you don't want this movie to feel like Hackers, where they're just sitting behind a computer all the time?
0: I mean, I would love a remake of Black Christmas that was a mix of this and Hackers. That would be pretty fun. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think that's going to do it for Black Christmas. Uh, Thank you guys for, for joining us. If you like what you hear, you give us a rating or review on iTunes. That would be awesome. And we will get back to our wild card pick next time, which will be 1989's Society. So I hope to see you all at the Grand Shunting. Amanda, thank you for joining me.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me, Blake.
0: And we will see you guys next time. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everyone.
1: Bye, everybody.